All right. Good evening. How's everybody doing? If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us, and uh, let us know you're there. Say hi. As we uh, will go on uh, tonight, we'll be in uh, what would be lesson three as we're going through Hebrews here. And uh, we got a good verse tonight, and I say that because that's about as far as we're going to get tonight is one more verse. And uh, then it'll open up a little bit. But uh, when you go through this, the Word of God in an expository manner, and, and you delve into a verse, and you start studying that verse and cross-reference it, and, I mean, especially in Hebrews, it can take you a, uh, a lot of different directions with a lot of different truth and truths. And you'll see that tonight, and we're not going to be able to go in detail, uh, but I do have a handout for you, uh, plenty of stuff for you to study, do your own devotions with. I want to get tonight to just to really break down Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 and uh, we, we see a very powerful promise within this verse when we break it down and of course it leads to many other things we'll touch on briefly as we walk through this so uh, just a couple of prayer requests uh, keep brother Lloyd in prayer uh, had a doctor's appointment today they put him through the ringer or something he's he's uh, too pooped to go he says just get up and go got up and went or something like that in the text so but uh, he's pretty worn out so keep him in prayer and keep david uh, in prayer hells he's recovering from his uh his neck surgery and so uh, continues to start his rehab there macy is i believe this week started her rehab on her shoulder reconstruction and uh if you've been through anything like that shoulders knees hips whatever that uh, the surgery is the easy part when you get to the rehab part. So, but keep them in prayer. Uh, anybody else we need to be aware of? Yes, uh, Charlotte and Terry's uh, great grandbaby. Uh, great, yeah, great grandbaby. Uh, it's a long story. God's work in a miraculous way. Uh, she would probably love to share it with you. But uh, it, it was uh, they had to take the baby C-section at five weeks. I mean, five, 28 weeks, and the baby was just a little bit over a pound. But uh, eyes not fully developed and lung, all these things that you would, uh, you know, be facing. But so far, uh, God's working through this, and, and the mother's doing better. So uh, just keep them in, in prayer. Help me with the name again. Brent. Oh, no, not you, Brent. <laughs> he walked in when I said that. I said, Cal. Callan, and uh, it's got uh, the meaning to the name is it means war, like warrior, warrior, and uh, very indicative of what this young man's going through. So uh, keep Callan in prayer, and God continues to work. Yes, ma'am. All your grandbabies are sick. Ugh. You got a lot of them too. Yeah. Okay. So we need to we need to be praying for Alina. That's what we need to be praying. <laughs> Oh, and you're, oh, all of them. So, like, all of them, all of them. Oh, goodness. Wow. Who? John? Oh, John and Renee, yes. Uh, they may be online with us. But, uh, you know, John and Renee, uh, of course, now they're in New Mexico. But he's uh, battling with his throat cancer. So he's hanging in there. They started their treatments uh, there locally. So uh, it's pretty aggressive. Uh, program he's going through I think three days a week or two days a week maybe I think it's two days a week then they got to get back to Lubbock 
which is about a three-hour drive, two and a half, three-hour drive once a month for treatment. So, yeah, keep John in, in prayer. That's a good one. Yes, sir. Wow, yeah, Bob had shared that earlier. Friend that's been put on hospice, so a uh, lot, of, lot of hurting folks out there. So uh, I'm sure there's many others. So let's go to prayer, and we'll ask for God's blessing, then we'll get going. Father, thank you for allowing us together tonight. Thank you for the fellowship and the food. And But, Father, now we come in to just help and ask that you, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, feed us spiritually, that uh, we know man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth so help us to uh, grow tonight in your grace anoint every word that's spoken we ask this in christ's name amen all right so here back in hebrews chapter one as we went through last week starting at verse one god who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by son whom he hath appointed heir of all things which we get to be co-heirs with Christ, by whom also he made the worlds. In verse 3 here, who being the brightness of his what? Glory in the express what? Image. Hold on to those two words, glory and image. Of his person and upholding what? All things. I'll see this is Christ, God's speaking of. By the world of whose power? His power when he had by himself did what i purged our sins set down for the right hand of the majesty on high who in verse 4 be made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance uh, obtained a more excellent name than they in us as well pardon me uh we do thank you ma'am Look at that, teacher's pet. You get a little star by your name tonight. So what I want to do tonight, we're, we're going to break down verse 3 here. And, and as we pointed out, these two words we need to, to capture. And it's the word image, talking about an express image. As you'll see there on your handout when it gets to you, this express image is a Greek word of which we get the word character. Now, when we say character, what comes to our mind? How, how do we describe character? In a secular definition. Huh? Yeah, behavior, attitude, you know, uh, our word, you can say. So it's a Greek word, character, from which we derive the word character. It denotes a tool that is used here in the Greek in biblical times, a caricature was an instrument that was used. Thank you, ma'am. It was an instrument that was used that embossed something, that engraved something. Sometimes you see in old writings, you see a, a, a sealed letter with the wax ring, and then the wax ring is embossed with a, either the king or the Lord's insignia ring, and the crest was put on it. So this is what this word alludes to in the Greek. It's an engraving. It's an, a stamping. It's an impression. It literally means, in a sentence structure, to cut into. So how do we apply that? What would that mean? How would we, per se, use that in a sentence structure, cut into, when it comes to our spiritual nature? 
Okay. True. Think, th think of just a, uh, a sculpture who takes a, a, a piece of granite or a piece of stone or an ice sculpture. I remember we, uh, Sam and I got to go with the kids, got us a cruise for Christmas, and uh, I didn't think I'd like it. It was actually pretty cool. And I remember one night this guy, they brought out this, it was a block of ice. I mean, it was on a wheels, and I bet you it was like five feet tall. I mean, big, just a block of ice, you know, shiny and wet. And we just sit there all that night watching the movie, and he just sat over to the side, and he just went up. And it, was, it took about three and a half hours. We ate, came back, and he was finishing up. It was just beautiful dolphin that he made that was left over out of this block of ice. He made in about three, three and a half hours. I thought, man, that was the neatest thing. Well, so when we think of a caricature, this engraving, this and stamping impression, it means to cut into our soul to cut in in a way that we mirror, we're an image, we're an impression, we're an engraving in the image of who? Of Christ on our lives, okay? So it's that express image, it means it's an imprint, it should be a photocopy. That, so if we're gonna take on the character of Christ, that in doing so, we're cutting into ourselves, into our spiritual walk and our spiritual character, our behavior, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we carry out the fruit of the spirits, that somebody should say that they are the, are in the express image of Christ. Now that's, that'd be an honor, would it not? Now we obviously probably wouldn't say that. We just say, man, they, you know, they act like Christ sometimes, you know. But imagine somebody said, wow, they're cut out like the express image of Christ. That'd be a powerful definition, would it not, to our walk? Well, this is what we're called to. It's a representation of the essence here in your paper and the nature of who and what God is, meaning thus to know Christ is to know God. They are both part of the Godhead. We know that. So as we go on, we want to look at something else. So besides this express image we see here, it's linked in association with the word glory. Glory, which is the Greek word doxa. And uh, Mark, can you pull up First Chronicles 29, 13? I'm sorry. Probably should have passed out a paper to you. But we see this here, First Chronicles 29, 13. So it, it deals with David, King David, you know, right before his death. He, he's singing praises to God. And what he's singing, he's expressing the glory of God that David has acknowledged and seen. So it says here, 2 Chronicles 29, 13, And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Now, when we talk about glory, we've talked about it before from the pulpit. A simple definition of glory is an outward manifestation of the Godhead in some way. You, you, you see a promise of God come about. You see Christ work maybe through salvation or transformation, or you see a miracle by way of the Holy Spirit working in somebody's life, when you're able to physically put your eyes on it, that you can acknowledge that that came by way of the Godhead. So what it is, it's an outward, it's an exposed, it's a revealing manifestation of God. When that happens, hence it should draw our verbiage to say glory. And, you know, I've expressed it before. I try to use that word intently. Somebody will text me 
and, and say so-and-so happened and maybe we've been praying about it for weeks and what we were praying specifically came about and, and they call and you can tell the excitement in the voice and they express it and I'll intention, you know, intentionally with all caps say glory because there's purpose to that. We saw the outward manifestation of the prayer come about in truth. So this is what David's singing to. And what it dealt with is witnessing the, the, the results of when they were going about to start building the temple, that the response of God's children and what it came about. And so David in verses 1 through 5 and then the children of God of Israel in verses 6 through 9 gave to a point what could only be described as God-like, i.e. glory according to the Bible. And you see that in Isaiah 60 and, and uh, chapters 40. You can look at those later. So it's the outward manifestation of something awesome. Now, with those two things in mind, we're talking about the express image of Jesus by way of the glory of the Godhead being revealed. It poses a question for us. The question is, what constitutes, what constitutes the awesomeness of God? How would you define that? What would you say constitutes the awesomeness of God? I know you got a paper there you can cheat with, but has anybody ever experienced something in their own walk or somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, that you're, you know, praying in deep with them and walking with them, helping them carry the cross, and you see God working a way that you're like, you're just, that's the word. You're like, this is awesome. Anybody ever experienced anything like that? comes to mind it reveals the awesomeness of God but what constitutes his glory according to Isaiah chapter 6 Mark can you get Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 3 and in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim and each had six wings with two he covered his face and with two they covered his feet and two they flew and one called to another said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of glory full of his glory so isaiah got to see this isaiah was given this vision and within this vision he saw through the 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 robe of god filling the temple it was an awesome sight not was it not only was it glorious it was like this is awesome it's beyond expression. It's to a level that truly, now we throw the word like we do a lot of things. You know, you hear sports announcers. Oh, they're a great athlete. They're a great athlete. They're a great. Well, you know what? Everybody's a great athlete. Well, at some point, what's better than great? Oh, they're super great. Or they're amazingly great. You know, we start coming with all these adjectives to try to describe something. But when we think of the spiritual sense, if he came to the word awesome, that really is all-encompassing of all and who and what God is. So to witness God's holiness, you'll experience that outward manifestation of his holiness, which is called God's glory. Now, with all that being said, and I put down here for you, there's three ways that we can see this revealed, the holiness of God. Now, the holy one thing, what makes God holy and us not, us not per se, is the the separation between the common which is man or the unclean man's sin god's not common god is glorious god is awesome 
And so it's the holiness of God separates his nature from us, from his own creation. Well, there's three ways I've listed there. We're going to look at the last one here in a second. But one, it deals with God's deity. When you talk about God's deity, you're going to have to talk about four of his natural attributes. These are things that deal with his omniscience, his omnipresence, his uh, omnipotence, and then his eternal immutability, and that God cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So God's deity sets him apart for his way of his holiness and awesomeness. And then his decency, which goes on to the moral attributes of who God is, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his kindness, uh, holiness, mercy, love, and truth. These are attributes of God that we should try to cut ourselves into the image of. Now, while we cannot, in no way possible, there's no sense in us even trying, we cannot deal with the four natural attributes of God. Only God can possess the omnipotence and the omnipresence and the immutability of such. We, it's not even something we even, God doesn't even tell us to try. But what he does allow us to do he does allow us to cut ourselves into the image of his moral attributes, meaning we can practice righteousness in all matters. We can practice faithfulness. We can practice kindness, and we can even practice his holiness, separating ourselves apart from the world into his image. And then, of course, we can practice mercy, love, and truth. So we are called to by God's word. We are challenged to take on his moral attributes. So, but they still belong to God. They're, they're not our attributes. These are things that we are to practice. Now, the one I want to look at, the first two, deal with God. Okay? The last one deals with us before we do that i want to look at hebrews chapter three here and uh i want to break this down and see make sure we're capturing all that we want to capture here so right off the bat when it talks about who we also have clarity that god is talking about who who's he talking about the who is jesus the who coincides as you going through his when you see his glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by way of his power and that when by himself so this whole verse here is directed straight towards the image the personage that Christ, who Christ is and all that he upholds but going through this we talked about it reveals his glory and then also reveals his express image these are the two things we're to acknowledge the glory of god which we can participate in when it comes to his moral attributes and then the image now the image is going to tie into the discipleship part of hebrews chapter 3 which we'll get to here shortly but let's go back th through this who being in the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by what Ah, by the word by the word and of his power when he by himself had what purged our sins and sits down on the right hand of God 
So what I want to point out here is, is two things. One is the fact we talk about glory. And we say glory, that is God produced. Can man produce glory? No. God can't produce glory. Only comes by. Now we can participate in it. We can mirror ourselves after it. But we cannot draw glory to ourselves. What we're going to see by way of discipleship, when we practice the moral attributes of God, what we do is bring about, we magnify his glory through us. But it's still his glory. And then number two, image, we talked about. We talked about image. That's man. And so what would I get be? Uh, 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 what'd be the word when you what's the word when you try to copy something, mirror something? Uh, immuta, uh, pardon me. Yeah, imitate or imitate. I can't right. Supposed to be it. So that's what man imitates. Glory is God's. His produce image is what man imitates. So when you go back through this verse, we see four truths that God brings out. But they come by way of his power. Tells us right there. By way of his power. And we want to look at one is the who. Who's the who? Jesus. Jesus is the who. Who talks about his word. When you talk about the word of God, what... What do we receive by way of God's Word? What's God's Word full of? Truth, but also not full of promises, which is tied to truth. So we got the who. We know the who, the he, the his, the himself. It's dealing with directed towards Jesus. It points out his Word through the power of his Word, which lays down his promises. Then it talks about purged. When we say purge, we have to think of being redeemed. The redemptive work of God. He purged our sins. He redeemed us by himself. And then, first uh, uh, our sins. So the who, the word, the purged, and then uh, sins. I got lost. I didn't. And sin deals with who? Man. So within this verse, not only are we dealing with the glory and the image of God, but we deal with the who. It makes it explicitly clear what role Christ plays in this. It deals with his word. It talks to us by the power of his word, by the promises we have foretold to us by his word. It says that he purges our sins. Man's sins. So now, if we read these backwards, instead of who, word, purge, and sins, can we not read this same word by saying Jesus promises to what? Redeem man. Jesus promises to redeem man. This is what verse 3 of Hebrews is pointing out. It's his brightness. It's his glory. It's his personage. It's his power. 
that what Christ did through his power of who he is and his word, he purged, he redeemed the redemption of sins, which is man. Jesus promises to redeem man. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Right there in this verse that God points out. So now what I want to do, I want to close with it. I say close. We'll open this up here a second and talk to it. It gets in how we play into it, okay? Because one, it's all God's doing. But where we play into it is to our discipleship in God's Word. That's where it plays its role for us. So let's look at Isaiah 57, 15. Mark, if you could for me. Uh, 50, yes, please. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us here. For thus says the one, Christ, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, this is everything we've just been talking about in Hebrews chapter, in verse 3. I dwell in the high and holy place. Also with him, who would him be? God. Okay. With him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite. So, this is where we can, we're the ones that are called to the lowly, contrite spirit. We're the ones that are called to approach this glory of God and approach it with an image of this lowly state in which we can be co-heirs with Christ, but that while God is still deity and God is decent, yet God reveals himself through who? Us, his disciples. I mean, think of Christ, his ministry on earth. Everything was geared towards who? Twelve men, the disciples. Now, Christ came to do his part. He came to be the great teacher. He came ultimately to seek and save those who were lost. But he spent a three-year ministry promoting himself or training his disciples. Training his disciples. So even though God's return and God's back in glory until he returns again, we are still called into, just like his original 12 disciples, as children of God. And we should make sure we're keeping ourselves under proper teaching and, and under mentorship of somebody that iron sharpeneth iron. It's somebody that can guide us through his word and disciple him. So many churches have, have powerful evangelistic approaches through the word of God. And, and it's like, but that's it. And, and people are getting, sa getting saved. Glory to God. Don't get me wrong. That's the most important thing. But yet, if, if there's salvations going on, which there is. I mean, I talk to other pastors and see it. But then you also talk to the same pastors, and churches are dwindling, and church isn't growing. Why is that? There's no discipleship going on. The gospel's being preached, but lives aren't being transformed. Well, no, they're transformed. They got saved. Ah, wrong answer. They got saved doesn't mean they got transformed. 
they're not growing. You can't grow without discipleship. Exactly. And which we're called to, to add to our faith, you know, day by day. Exactly. So this is, the, when you get into Hebrews 3, we're talking about, okay, how do we, how do we bring forth this glory of God about? And how do we make big of it? We make big of it on our part, not just by coming to church and lifting our hands and singing songs. We make big of God. We magnify God's glory when we allow ourselves to be discipled. And as we get discipled, the more we're discipled, the more we're chiseled out, the more we're brought into this express image of Christ, and the more we start living out these moral attributes of God and the fruits of Spirit are evident, and we start practicing the righteousness and the holiness and the love and the kindness and the mercy of these things of God, then others see that and they go, Woo, glory to God, that's awesome. They're not the same person. And nor should they be, should they? And nor would they be if they're under proper discipleship. Now, under it and willing to be under it are two different things. I'm not saying these churches don't have discipleship opportunities. We, we got we to gotta call it what it is because there's a lot of Christians that, that are saved enough and choose not to put themselves under discipleship. Because maybe there's parts of their lives or their character they don't want to give up yet. They're glad they got saved, and they're coming to church, and they're enjoying church, but I'm not really ready for transformation yet. Because I, I kind of like the old nature, you know, certain aspects of it. So we got to be willing, willing to be discipled. And sometimes it takes literally coming to somebody that you know has a greater spiritual maturity and has the ability through God's word and teaching to say, hey, would you be willing? Would you be willing to meet with me once a week or whenever you can and, and pour into me the truths that others have poured into you, things I see in you that, that I see maturity in your life, that, the things I don't have. So it takes accountability on our part if we want to play our role in it. So here on our paper we see in Isaiah 15, it deals with the use of God's people. The third aspect of God's holiness is his willingness to work in and through his discipled ones via the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. You see that in Hebrews chapter 12. While it is true that God alone dwells in the high and holy place, yet he is willing to share that holiness through his moral attributes from which glory proceeds via the Holy Spirit to those who are willing to discipline themselves via a contrite and humble spirit. So when we look at Isaiah 57, 17, or 15, excuse me, some have said, you know, in the holy place also with him, that's not the Father or the Holy Spirit. That him is us. Because as his children, we are co-heirs with him. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody that will spiritually dwell with me in the high and holy place with a broken and contrite and humble spirit and willing to be discipled. 
that in doing so, my glory can be manifested through them. And that and outward expressions can take place when that individual starts practicing my moral attributes and walking in them and starts getting cut in to my image of Christ-likeness. Back on the paper here, thus divine holiness is not exclusive, but God reaches out to attract others to his state and attitude of separation from the world by offering them a discipleship program by the Holy Spirit, which in turn will lead them to a contrite and humble spirit there in Luke 14. Fact being, whenever you witness the holiness of God through once uh, through one of God's spirit-filled disciples, you experience the revealed glory of God. For nothing glorious gets done until it is done through the Spirit, not of the flesh, via his natural moral attributes, according to Zechariah 4, 6. You're probably familiar with John Piper's quote. It's a powerful quote. God is most glorified in us, his disciples, when we learn to be most satisfied in him the more we're able to have that contract spirit to rest in the high and holy place with Jesus to allow his word and others that he puts in our lives to to disciple us through his word and, and, and direct us then God is glorified but we got to be willing to want to reside there that's our part and why it's so important, it's of the utmost importance because what else does God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have other than his creation? Does he have anything else to work with? No. Because by way of free will, the creation, it's a whosoever will. God doesn't direct us like robots. I'm going to save Richard and make him become a disciple, and I'll put my glory through him. No, it doesn't work like that. It's bringing people into Richard's life years ago. Well, he kind of came to it through self-realization through God's Word, his testimony. But as a young boy, it came to a point that, that Jesus allowed the Word to flow into him for him to ask the right questions and be led to his salvation. And ever since then, God's just been at different times, at high points and low points, as he would tell you, but he has just continued to faithfully be there and invest in Richard. Why? Because every time there's a high point, the glory of God gets revealed to him. And we can all say that. We've all have had our glorious, awesome moments in God. Unless you're just a, 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 a babe in Christ, but even the day you got saved, did that not reveal the glory and awesomeness of God? Even the moment of your salvation is the most glorious thing that's ever happened to you. But from that, then what he's calling us to is this discipleship that brings everything by way of the power of God back to the gospel and through the gospel that will manifest his glory. Does that make sense? What are some thoughts on this? When you look at Hebrews chapter, verse 3 here, what are some things that jump out here at you? Well, we broke it down pretty deep here. Anything come to mind in your personal life or just your, your own walk? 
conscious effort. It's, it's, it's spelled out to us right there what the purpose is. Jesus promises to redeem man. Once he does, then through glory and image, he calls us into that discipleship. But it takes that willing participation. If we step back from that and say, I, I'm just kind of comfortable where I'm at. I like where I fit in at the church. God never asked me to do anything. I never get called on. I just get to sit there, and every once in a while, he, he says something halfway good, and it suffices. Well, that's not a willing participation in discipleship. Or, uh, you know, I like the church because I, you know, I, I just want to get involved and do things, and I just want to run ministries and, and do this and do that. Well, missed again. That's not discipleship. That's church administration. There's need for church administration, but it doesn't compare to the need for discipleship. God needs individuals that are willing to be and able to be discipled to the point that they're cut into his image. So their walk, their talk is in a way that others say, wow. Every time I'm around them, it seems like any time I'm with them, I see the image of Jesus. I see the personage of Jesus. I see the glory of God working in and through their lives. That's our call. Our call is not to start ministries. Our call is not to build churches. Our call is to come to know Christ as our Savior, which verse 3 points out clearly, Jesus promises to redeem man but then to respond to that gift and submit ourselves to discipleship. They're saying, wow, seems like every time I go to church or go to a Bible study or Wednesday night, I realize how much I don't know. That's the broken contract spirit. That's good. Oh, man, I don't know nothing about the Bible. That's good. You know, it's kind of like addiction. You can't get help till you first acknowledge what? So you got a problem. I mean, it's not, not make, you know, we got many AA people in our church, and glory to God, the glory of God's work through them. But they can tell you stories, and some of them have admitted themselves. Sit there for weeks or months. I don't really have a problem, problem. I just got to come because the court said I have to. Is there going to be any transformation or healing there? No. Because they haven't acknowledged, they haven't come to that broken contract spirit. So if we're willing to say, oh my gosh, this is just, the more I listen, the more uncomfortable and embarrassed I get on how much I don't know about God. Good. That's a good thing. Because then you can take that and then find many, which we have in our church, and say, hey, I know you're busy. Is it asking too much from you? Once a week we get together 30, 45 minutes or an hour. We've got many folks in our church that would be honored to do that. And that's all it takes. And we got programmed. I'm just, hey, we got programmed. We got ways and, 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 and can, you know, support with, with, with you, know, you know, scriptures and a path to go down. That two people can walk together down that. That's what the church is called to do. And that's where the church is failing today. That's why churches or declining in America because discipleship is non-existent. 
Yeah, maybe later. Just yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Don't want to ask anybody. Don't know where to start. Don't know what it's going to entail. But then you ask addicts that have come to that broken a contract spirit, and now they're five, ten, fifteen, twenty years removed. And what do they say? Glory to God. Glory to God. And people that know them can look at them and say what? Glory to God. What was their image is no more. Now they've been cut into the image of Christ. Not that they're perfect. Not that they've graduated Christianity and they're all that in a spiritual bag of chips. No. But they are being cut into the image of Christ. And they're embodying moral attributes of God. And now when people say, God, I just wish I could be like a whoever, fill in the blank. Well, it's not that they're anything. It's just they got that broken contract spirit. And you, you see some manifest, manifestation of Christ in their life. But I guarantee you, I promise you, the only way you will not, that individual did not and cannot you can make that argument. You can support that scripture. They cannot get there on their own, per se, or just by Sunday morning. Won't get there. It takes a willingness to be like we did Thursday night. Started Thursday night Bible study in a, 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 you know, a girl's house. And now it's going on, I don't know how long, year, year and a half. And we've seen salvations. We've seen questions asked. We've seen subjects brought up like... I've never seen that. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Wow, that it has a transformational work on people's lives. But it takes that commitment to the Word of God for that to happen. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Well, you are. This is a good verse for just one little verse. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's so, it's so good. But anyway, I think we see the point here of what the author is trying to drive home. One, it lays down the foundation of the gospel, but then it also magnifies what we're supposed to do with the gospel. And that's to live in that contract spirit that brings about the glory of Christ. And, and helps us to grow and be cut into his expressed image. We do that, then you see transformation, you see discipleship, or you see a disciple when that happens. And what happens? Then that disciple is what? Starts discipling somebody else. And before you know it, they're saying, hey, can I introduce you to somebody? This is so-and-so, I got to see them at a restaurant or at work or blah, blah, blah. We've been talking for two, three, four months, and, and you know, we came to the opportunity. We've been talking about the gospel. They accepted Christ. Glory to God. And then what does that person does? And now that person is bringing them to church with them, picking them up if they have to, spending time with them once a week during lunch at work. Both agreed to bring the lunch and just pouring into them like somebody poured into them. That's the church. That's the way Christ designed the church. But what has man done? What have too many preachers across America done? They've redesigned the church the way they want it. 
and then they, they do a, a self-imposed discipleship. But it's not scriptural discipleship. Amen? Anybody else? All right, well, we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight, this opportunity just to uh, look at this one verse and how much it opens up to us and uh, reveals the magnitude and the purpose of your word, the power. And uh, the Lord, we're called to we want to you know, have that desire to be driven to, to want to dwell in a high and holy place with you. But, Father, we've got to be, uh, again, willing. We've got to take on that contrite spirit that in doing so we can be cut into your image, into your express image, and then allow your attributes to begin to work through us and to emulate those attributes so others, not to sing our praises, but others can sing your praises because they see transformation. They see your image through our walk. That's our call. That's our purpose. Father, may we find that desire, that hunger for discipleship, to be a discipled one for your image, for your glory, for your kingdom's work. Then, then the church is growing the way the church is supposed to grow. One soul at a time, one transformation at a time that brings about your glory. We thank you for your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen.